0: I want you to open to two places to begin with tonight, Ephesians 4 and 2 Corinthians 2. We're talking about the subject of deliverance. It's not the most exciting subject in the world, but if we are going to be, as the Bible has said, we're not to be ignorant of the devil's devices, then we have to know what they are. We need to study And it'd be good if along the way you can see some examples of it, then you get a picture in your mind about this is what the devil's doing, this is how he does it, and look at the people that he's doing it to. And you not only can avoid that, but if you ever have a chance to talk to people, having been informed of the truth, you can help people. Ignorance is not bliss. I mean, as Christians, we ought to know in whom we have believed, and we need to know who we're dealing with. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, it says that we're not to give place to the devil, which means that we can, because if Christians can't, then there's no rhyme or reason to that verse of Scripture, which tells us there is a devil. The devil is doing something. You don't want him to do whatever he does in your life. Because when he is able to get into somebody's life and get a hold there, to give place to him, he manifests. All demonic spirits, all of the devil's agents have one goal in mind, to fulfill the words kill, steal, and destroy. The kingdom of darkness is multifaceted. It has many kinds of demons. They are all specialists. They all have something that they do in particular when they gain entrance into somebody's life or they gain a hold of somebody or taken captive, the Bible said. And they do all kinds of crazy things and unusual things, but never good things. Never are they good. As Christians, God wants to enlighten us and inform us about what goes on in the kingdom of darkness. So not only, as I said earlier, that we can escape it ourselves, but if we recognize in our life we've allowed things in our life, and that's been why we've acted the way we've acted or had the problems that we had, then we can take ourselves, as we call it, through deliverance. That is, get a release from the devil's right to get a hold of you. 2 Timothy 2.25, it talks about those that are taken captive by the devil at his will. And the devil is a legal expert. He knows the word of God. He knows his limitations, and he knows his rights. And as the Bible said in Revelation 12, he stands before God to accuse the brethren day and night. And he goes about like a roaring lion looking for that person who is not paying attention or uninterested or willing to forget and not learn, and live as they feel. He's looking for that person, because all he needs is a start, an open door. Jesus clearly said when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, and we'll deal with unclean in just a minute, unclean spirits. When those kind of demons go out of people, they seek something else. They want another person they can manifest themselves through. If they can find none, they go back to the one they were cast out of or removed from, and they seek to gain interest again because most people let their guards down. They don't know how to fight. Very few Christians are taught how to fight a good fight of faith. They don't even know what faith is. I know you think I'm being ugly when I say that, but it is so true that if you're ever around other people, you'll know it's true. They really don't know what fighting a good fight of faith is. They don't have an idea what the agents of the devil does or angels of light being transformed into ministers and so forth in their own church. They can't comprehend that or understand that. If that seed was ever sowed, it was sowed on hard ground and they didn't get it. And that's why it's a blessing for us in this hour, you and me both, to be able to want to know the truth, to seek to know the truth, because I don't want the devil in my life, I don't want him in my family I don't want him in church. I don't want him anywhere. And we do what we can to enlighten people. We can only do that as God gives that anointing. But as he does, we wanna deal with these things and make sure that the devil is put behind us and under our feet. In 2 Corinthians chapter two, the other place I want you to turn. 2 Corinthians chapter two and verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. Can he? How do you know he can? Well, the Bible says so. Well, sure, we know that. But how could you tell if he has? I'm not talking about academics here. I'm talking about living examples, the obvious. Has he taken an advantage of you tonight while I'm standing here? Or do you out in plastic land, electronic land? Has he taken advantage of you? Is he right now? While I'm speaking, does he have a grip on your life and you don't know it or you have heard about it but didn't believe it could be you and so you didn't deal with it? Is that happening tonight? Is that why you're not as far along tonight as maybe you feel like you should be? Is that why you so easily give up in trials or you're having trouble praying or maybe praying in tongues or falling asleep in a service, getting distracted easily. That can happen to anybody, but there are some people that just continuously go through that. They get depressed easily. They get moody a lot. They don't seem to be able to come out of these dark spells they're in. They go to church every week. They don't attribute their problem to the devil And some point in their life where he got a grip or where he got a hold. They don't even realize that they themselves need Deliverance, And I don't mean somebody gathering around you and screaming at you and all that. I mean just a releasing of the truth that God's put in your heart against these areas in your life that have been hindered by demonic activity. And you command by a verbal command, you command the devil to go. And then it takes faith because you rest your case with God. Doesn't look like the devil goes when you tell him to, but you have to believe he does. And God will honor your faith. But there's so much in the bible about it so many things about it again he said in chapter 2 there verse 11 lest satan should get advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices his methods or his schemes or his wiles or his clever workings the way he does things to gain access to your life or your mind look in chapter 11 Second Corinthians 11, you get more of it there. In verse three, "For I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety." And remember, this book was written to spirit-filled Christians. First Corinthians. He said, "But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ." And I think the Corinthian church was trying to complicate a lot of things. They had so much turmoil and trouble and nothing was getting solved. It's like he said in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, there's too many people in your church that are weak and sickly and those that are dying when they shouldn't be dying. That's not right. That's not what Jesus came to do in his body. But it's happening. And if you don't do something about it, it'll continue to happen. I don't mean I can do something about you as much as when you're aware of things going on, you have to deal with it yourself. But if you don't listen or you don't remember or you don't somehow take notes to remind yourself of this, you won't deal with it because you'll forget it. Forget not all his benefits is exactly that. Don't forget it. When God shows you things, it's for our good. not only do we learn, but we also grow. But what we grow with, we also make application of. So we're talking about deliverance. This is our 10th session, and under a subtitle of, of this one, we're talking about identifying spirit activity. Anytime a demon begins to manifest himself, dumb spirits, deaf spirits, lying spirits, all kinds of different ways that the devil does things. Anytime a spirit manifests in a person, and it's obvious to those that are keen about this, We said, now that person has a spirit of, and then you name whatever that thing is. And when you begin to realize how many different ways that the devil works in people, we couldn't cover all of this subject if we taught every day for two or three years. So some things we're just gonna hint at and, and leave out and hope you get the message. For example, there are spirits of poverty and lots of people have it. And they have it because at the end of the check, the month is still going. And they have pockets with holes in them, and they can't seem to get ahead. They're always behind, always, and I mean continually, struggling with finances. They're not noted for their giving, because that's one way you get out of it. They're not noted for doing that. You can hear them talking, I, you know, and I don't know what we're going to do, and we just, and I don't know if he doesn't get this, I don't know. What. And they continually betray the word they say they believe by what they're saying. They say, oh, God will supply all of my needs on one side of their mouth. And they turn around and talk about, I don't know how we're going to make it because the devil has gained a hold of their mind so that they're more convinced that what they see is more real than what the Bible says. And their faith falls. I grew up in a home with spirits of poverty. People were afraid to spend the money they had because there was a fear of what might happen and they might need it. And now the world tells you, oh, you better lay it up because the day comes. Well, you lay up enough of it. I understand the government might want to tax it. So you might want to just go ahead and spend it anyway and enjoy yourself. I don't know. But I just know there's many ways that the devil who is crafty and subtle, he begins to talk to you just like he did to Eve and begins to distort the word, begins to twist the word. Hath God said? Well, now, why would he say it like that? Well, who's to say that what he said is right? I mean, you have a mind, don't you? Well, of course. You do. The Bible say you have an anointing. You don't need anybody to teach you. You know, whatever you see is right. If you're comfortable with it, it's okay. Next thing you know, you begin to have your own ideas of what the Bible says, and that's a spirit that's working to take you away from the truth. I think the Bible said we're to study to show ourselves, approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, but what's the rest of it? Rightly rightly dividing the truth, that's important to God. That's important to God that we rightly divide it, not just comfortably, no, it's gotta be right. If two people disagree, they both can't be right, they both could be wrong. But you need to search out the scriptures because the spirit of truth is in the scripture. And that's what God shows you, truth. And when truth comes into your heart, that's the one weapon that the devil fears if you believe it, if you believe it. When this guy in the book of Acts sought to turn away this deputy from the faith, that's the devil's work. But your faith can only rest, if God's going to honor it, your faith can only rest in the word of God. And when God shows you what the word says, the devil comes in right away to discount that to alter the meaning of that, to tell you, well, you're not ready for that. That's too hard, that's too much. This is too extreme. That's what he's talking about here, how he talked to Eve. Lest your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity in Christ. Simplicity, yeah. If he said it, he'll do it. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie neither the Son of Man, that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. That's simple. Just take him at his word. The advice that Mary, the mother of Jesus, gave at the wedding of Cana, she said, whatsoever he saith do. Be doers of the word, James said, not just hearers only. The devil cannot stop that. When the Bible speaks of the weapons of our warfare, it plainly says that there is a shield that you're given, and it will quench all the fiery darts of Satan. And those fiery darts are his methods and his angles and his lies and half-truths and sensationalisms. It'll quench all of that. It didn't say it'll make you popular, but that shield is able to stop anything Everything the devil can do to defeat you and overthrow you, if you'll use it. I'll guarantee you the church doesn't have a shield today because they read it in the Bible. Because this shield is something that is active. You can tell being around a person for a little while what kind of faith that person has. You just listen to them talk. Look at the choices that people make, the conversations they have how they view things going on in the world. You can locate a person's faith right away. I've had people move here from other places. How long have we been here? Going on 29 years? Through those years and people say, you know, there's a lot of people here that really don't believe what you're saying. They don't believe like they've been taught. I've had to sadly say, I agree with you. It's a little disappointing sometimes when you say things the Bible says or you make decisions in a church that you think is right and come to find out not many people believe it. So, and you wonder, I wonder if anybody really takes to heart what they say. Now, you've heard me say, but don't believe because I said it, but at least think about it. I mean, at least meditate on it. Like Psalm one says, mull it over in your mind. Is it right? Right. Could you say to somebody, in light of what Scripture says, I make a decision? I see it's so quiet here now, everybody thinks we're going to pass out or something. (laughs) Well, somebody brought you a petition, said this petition is to get rid of, and let's say something bad. And we want to send this to the government to a protest against what's going on, and we want you to sign it so that you'll be a part of this change that we need taking place. Would you sign it? A lot of people would sign it because they're afraid to be singled out as a religious nut. Even though they've been taught you don't do that, we don't protest anything. That's not what we're called to do. That's not what a church is involved in. Politics are for the people in the world that can run it. It's not us. When they send them to the chambers, we don't pull the levers and we don't kill them on the way. We're to make disciples. We take stands. The world will eventually hate us, and we're trying our best not to be hated by doing something that's, you know, middle of the road. We're just so afraid to make a right decision that we've been taught that's right. And that, my friends, is the work of the devil. It is. What does it say? He that knoweth, somebody help me here, he that knoweth to do good and does it not, what's it say? To him it is what? Sin. Now, that's not in the Bible, is it? do it but Doeth is. <laughs> is that in the Bible? Amen. Why do we have a problem with that? Do we need courage? Is it fear of being singled out? See that's the work of the devil to make us cower. You remember that verse in the Bible that says, "For the just shall live by faith? But if any man draw back, Tasso, it means to cower or to shrink. If any man draw back, Bible says my soul has no pleasure in him. God forbid that we ever live a life and have that uneasy feeling down the road that God has no pleasure in us. We become like we used to be. We go back where we were. We lose our interest, and the days of yesteryear were just a memory of long ago. And we just sort of hang our harps on the willows and become like we used to be. You want that to happen to you? I wouldn't think so. But that's what the devil would love to do, is to take away your song, take away your joy, take away a lot of things, but just simply making a bad decision. Just make a bad decision because that's what he does. That he goes about like a roaring lion seeking what? (laughs) Seeking whom he can devour. And we are told to resist him steadfast in the faith. Amen. Now, we have already covered in this identifying spirits. We've looked at religious spirits, the different kinds of manifestations, always something unusual. Religious spirits are always seeking attention. Maybe it's a dress. You know, the Catholics are are masters at this. You can tell who is a nun by nun garments. You can tell who is a priest by the priest collar because we want you to know that I am a priest or a preacher. I've had fun in these bookstores before with my friend Guthrie. We'd look at those collars and get in trouble spiritually with foolishness. I said, I'll buy that. If you'll wear it Sunday morning, I will buy that thing. <laughs> and he wouldn't do it. And he said, I'll buy yours, and I ain't gonna do it either. Because I think there is some kind of a religious spirit attached to that. I think it is. I've probably gone the other way, but I've tried my best not to look like a preacher. When you go out to eat on Sunday morning, I've, just the other day, I said, I bet you that guy's a preacher right there. I wonder how many people say that to me. Is that big, tall fella? He's a preacher. Anyway, there are all kinds of religious spirits that are allowed to demonstrate. Sometimes it's dress. Sometimes, like uh, my brother over in Indiana had a man come to his meeting one night dressed like an Old Testament priest. You know, with all the get up on. And he came in, he sat down on the front row. And brother didn't have a lot of social skills. He said, hey, brother, how you doing? Tell us about your get up there. What you got on? <laughs> the guy was offended. And he stood. he said, I am a priest of God. And he told me later, he said, I don't know what to do with him. I kept my eye on him because if he jumped up and said something, I was going to tell him sit down and get out. But it's to be noticed, to be looked at. It's a spirit. The lady I met at the camp many years ago had been fasting for probably a week, and she was acting like she's about to die. Ma'am, are you okay? I'm just fasting. Well, that's not the way you fast. You wash your face. Turn your frown upside down. That's the way you fast. Denominational spirits. Man-made, man-honoring, man-centered churches. Named after a man of some sort somewhere. And they have their own dogmas and their own peculiar slants to Scripture. They'll never change. Nobody does it more flaky than charismatics do. We laugh and bark and jerk and so many things. And people seem to think all of this is somehow the work of the Holy Spirit. You never realize that it's like every movement that you've known if you've been around this world very long. You've seen them come, you've seen them go. And once they're gone, they go back the way they used to be, and they're no more barking, jerking, and all of that. They're spirits. They convince people, oh, this is good. This is what church hopping is a whole lot about. We go places where something exciting is going on, and once we master the excitement, we get bored with it and wait for something new to start, and those same people go to the next one. They're not really loyal or committed anywhere. They're looking for that spiritual high because there are religious spirits behind all that. Last time we talked about infirm spirits, spirits of sickness. One thing Jesus made an enemy of his whole life was sickness. You know that? He never met anybody that he healed whom God made sick. Never. Because sickness is of the devil. You can tell by, like, chronic problems, stuff that runs in the family. We can all have a trial. But there can be chronic things, family tree things. Grandpa had it. Grandma had it. Mom had it. And those kind of things. And then they get addicted to drugs. And these people can't live without some kind of medication, some kind of a chemical compound in their body to help relieve them from what's coming. Most people with infirm spirits dread the idea of not having some kind of instant relief they can't walk out of trial because they can't endure any pain pain is never comfortable i know what it is been there a whole lot but when god brings you through those valleys and brings you out on the other side your ability to trust god no matter what increases and you don't fear those things like you used to You begin to lose your fear of a lot of things. And the fear is one of the devil's great weapons to make you afraid. You're going to die. You're going to get sick. You're going to catch a cold. You're going to have a wreck because it's snowing. You're going to this and you're going to that. And the swine flu is going around. You will be oinking tomorrow. you wait and see (laughs) because you're probably going to get it. Or the bird flu, you'll be flying next week. (laughs) Or somebody coughs, oh, you've got a cold. And you start thinking, oh, my kid, oh, my child. This is the way the devil works. You're dealing with spirits. Always, always. And you deal with it spiritually. That's why it's in the natural that you see the evidence of physical things. But Jesus either laid hands on them or prayed for people, which is always spiritual. Unless you think that touching somebody somehow makes them better. It's all about what God does as you touch. Some commentators have a hard time with this, and most commentators are no good when it comes to healing. Because, you see, the reason you anoint them with oil, because oil had medicinal properties in it. I don't know where they got that, but they seem to think so. They wouldn't say there was medicinal properties to wine, because, man, we'd have a lot of problems. You know, Paul told Timothy, Take a little wine for thy stomach's sake, for thine often infirmities. Of course, the water over there wasn't good to drink. And if you didn't have, wine can mean juice. The Greek word for wine can also mean juice. It can mean jam. It's the fruit of the grape or the fruit of the vine. If you don't drink it in a certain amount of time, it'll bubble. We call it fermenting. And when it ferments, it gets right. And some people wait till it gets right. They didn't have water fountain, didn't have bottled water, didn't even have good water in these days. They drank mostly the fruit of the vine. It was pure. And they let it bubble a little bit or let it sparkle like that Lord's table in 1 Corinthians. Some of you were drunk. Well, it was understandable why they got drunk. It's not like it was okay, but back to these spirits of infirmity, they're everywhere. And once you learn to deal with it and take authority over it and against it, you can be set free from it. I praise God again tonight that, you know, my wife and I, for all these years, we haven't had to need doctors, medicines, not even aspirins for oh, 30 or 40 years. I don't know how many years it's been. For me, since 1969, so that's been a while, 41 years. I would never apologize for that because at my age, you know, how many insurance policy applications do I get a month? I get them all the time. I say, who wants to insure somebody's 70 years old? Then you find out how much a 70-year-old pays every month. They go, man, that's a house payment. Not quite, but I just tear them up. I defy that because I have found something better than that, and I would not want to lower myself to the trash of this world and neglect the good things that God gave me. I don't want it, but that's my faith. That's what I've come to believe. Now, tonight, let's talk about another spirit that is common. Actually, three categories of it tonight is unclean spirits. Unclean spirits. Unclean has to do with something that defiles or could be a misleading thing or it could be something very impure. It'll cover all of that. Unclean spirits are mentioned numerous times in the New Testament. Unclean, uncleanness, and all of these things are showing up in the Scripture as what the devil does in snaring people. A lot of people are snared by unclean spirits. It would never identify my problem having to do with uncleanness because we don't see uncleanness in the biblical sense. We see it in the natural sense, which is okay, but there's also a biblical view of it that most people don't see. The word unclean is an Old Testament usage more than is a New Testament usage, I suspect, because it had to do with ceremonial laws of cleansing. In fact, I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. Now, these foods and animals that are clean and unclean are mentioned in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. But in chapter 20 and verse 24... Some interesting comments here about uncleanness. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 24. But I have said unto you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess it, a land that flows with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. Now, remember the word separated. Because this was God's work, God's idea to separate his people from other people. Goes on. You shall therefore, does your Bible say that? Therefore you shall. You shall therefore put difference between clean beast and unclean. That would be Numbers 11. And between unclean fowls and clean fowls. How many of you would think a buzzard would be an unclean fowl? You ever seen one up close? That's a nasty looking old bird. If anybody ever calls you a buzzard? Man, somebody doesn't like you. But anyway, it says, you should put difference between unclean fowls and you shall not make your souls abominable by beast or by fowl or any manner of living thing that creepeth on the ground which i have separated you from as unclean now it was god's idea to say this will be unclean and this will not i mean the animal had nothing to do with it as god said no, these animals are unclean if they have a cloven hoof like that and they chew the cud they shall be food for you now i know people said oh don't eat meat don't eat meat oh don't eat meat you'll die well god said there'd be food for you i don't think he'd tell you to eat something that's going to kill you He said, these shall be meat or food for you. Verse 26, and you shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have severed you from other people that you should be mine. God simply says, he's teaching on separation, and he uses food as an object Listen, some foods are okay, some foods are not. Read Leviticus 11 again, you'll find out which ones are. You can't eat the hare. How about creeping things? Can you eat rattlesnake? Does a snake creep? Yes. How about lizards? What about turtles? What about alligators? Well, little alligators, little lizards. Well, he just simply says this was Old Testament that you're not to eat these things. Now, people still hold to those Old Testament laws today and say, well, we shouldn't eat anything like a hog, like a pig. We shouldn't eat pork or we shouldn't eat the rabbit or the hare or we shouldn't eat camel (laughs) or we shouldn't eat things that creep and stuff like that. Well, turn to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 10. And in light of what we just read as an Old Testament practice, let's look and see what is said in Acts chapter 10 concerning that. Acts chapter 10 and verse nine. On the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour and he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and he saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. It makes no distinction from one to the other. He just said, wild beasts, creeping things, and fowls. Well, there came a voice to him and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, no, nah, I'm uh, 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 not going to do it. I mean, he says it in verse 14 better than that, but in verse 15, and the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Did he cleanse it? Yeah. What about the people who have these food spirits? They say, well, we shouldn't eat that. Now, I'll agree with them. A hog doesn't appeal to me as an animal. Now, I've always liked a piece of sausage and bacon and all the things that are made out of pork. I think you get that taste in your mouth, you don't ever hate it. But if you've ever been around a hog a lot, you probably could lose some of it. (laughs) Hogs will eat anything. Now, they tell me that what a hog eats goes into his muscle. I don't know how much of that's true. I really don't care. Therefore, they say if you eat that pork, it'll make you sick. Well, I don't believe that that's necessarily true. I think that if you eat too much of anything, you shouldn't eat. If you eat too much antioxidant-laden dark chocolate. <laughs> Somebody said dark chocolate's good. Well, I went to the drugstore. Where is the dark chocolate section? And there's this little old thin candy bar. I said, oh, uh-uh, I'm into dark chocolate, antioxidant health food. At that big bar and I had chocolate all over me before I got home. Well, you know, how many of you know you can eat too much of that and you'll regret it later? I think the word moderation is better than anything. But these foods, he said, don't you call common what God has cleansed. And he went on to show us that that we're not under a legal code of what we are allowed to eat and what we're not allowed to eat. If God made an animal to be eaten, then it's not bad. I think a lot of people make it bad because the devil has enabled them to do that. I don't think it's food that's bad for you. I think it's the mindset that people have that's bad for them. The way your body handles food, under stress a lot. Some people worry all the time, or they stress, or they're always in a hurry, they can't relax, can't rest, and I think some of that bothers people. All my kin folks in Illinois, all I can tell you was they all got up at dark, and they went to bed while it was light. And they ate everything that was put on the table they had. It was just a big table full of eggs and sausage gravy and big cat head biscuits and all kinds of other jellies and stuff that they make. And everybody ate all they wanted, and all of them lived to be old. I just don't know how they did it. (laughs) No, sir, folks, it all depends on how you receive what's in this world. I think one of the true delicacies of life I'd hate to know how it's made specifically and I wouldn't want to know what the components of it was as far as cholesterol and saturated polyun anything polyester you know <laughs> I think one of those grilled bratwurst and all the food folks go oh you yeah. listen listen you didn't get it grilled until it's just the little thing that's packed in is about to break open and run some good mustard over that and then maybe a few onions, you know. Depending. That's real, I mean, that's, <laughs> I don't do it every year, but whenever I'm around where they're cooking that stuff. you know, Anyway, <laughs> let me give you three areas about uncleanness. First of all is personal uncleanness. Personal uncleanness. This would refer to people that are dirty People who stink, who smell bad, who don't bathe, who have bad hygiene. Now the only people that I know have no access to such properties as water and soap would be those in foreign countries. Places where they don't have running water or soap or they've had a catastrophe and no such thing is available, they have to do the very best that they can. I've been on hunting trips before and gone for a week without a bath. But everybody else in the tent was too, so you get used to it, nobody complains about anything. But when you come out of the woods, you're totally unacceptable to society, and you gotta find a shower house, and you bathe and you look forward to it because you wanna keep your body clean. You only get one. You can't trade it in and get a better one. You can't get a younger one, you're stuck with what you got. And it really does help your body out if you keep it clean. And I know that a lot of people today, uh, I don't know anything. I've just heard some stories that a lot of people are not as hygienically disposed as they should be. And a lot of people don't bathe every day. And they sweat every day. Their feet are covered up in shoes every day of some sort. I know they're active every day and a man that goes out and works all day long. How many of you know if a man goes out and works in the hot sun and dusty and he comes in at night and he's kind of dirty, he can wash his face, but he still ain't clean. If he goes to bed like that, gets in your clean bed, he goes in a clean bed with a dirty body. If he gets up in the morning and goes to work in that same dirty body and he comes home again inclined that way, I think a wife has a right to at least say something. That's not right. Right? Water is not very expensive unless you buy it in a bottle. (laughs) But soap and water should be in everybody's house. Every parent should demand that their children take a bath because kids don't like to bathe either. Some of them, when they reach puberty, they begin to realize that the sweat on your body causes armpit odor. Well, ask your parents, your mothers and dads, your mothers especially, and they had to say something about you're going to have to start taking a shower and using deodorant. There's no excuse for that. But a person who is inclined to be dirty. Have you ever seen a wino on a street or a bum like down in little off Shelby Street on Nanny Goat Trot Alley? and Billy Goat Trot Alley, there's two of them. These people wet their pants. They sleep like that. They dry out. They go through the whole day like that. They have no home. They have no other clothes. They're just nasty and dirty. That is an unclean spirit. It defiles your body, your appearance, and it restricts you from having friends who wanna be around you because you're dirty. There's no excuse for that. No American should stink. I'm trying to be real clear. I'm trying to make that plain i don't think anybody should have to go around with body odor and be smelly and wear dirty clothes all the time and isn't it interesting that a lot of the styles today are dirty looking the jeans that are faded with holes in the knees for 50 bucks a pair i got some in the closet i give you <laughs> i don't but i mean you know the old t-shirt that's faded and got spots all over to pay what 10 or 15 bucks for a t-shirt to wear that and and you got your pants all wrinkled nobody irons anything your shirts out i've seen it you know i come to church like that they come to church with their shirt out and no shoes or socks on and they're coming here like hey we're cool you're not cool you're on the edge of flirting with another spirit this is the house of the lord we're coming before the lord Ain't nothing cool about this. But a lot of people are so used to being like the world is molding people. That's the spirit, too. Spirit of this age. Have you ever heard of an Antichrist spirit? Or the spirit of Antichrist? And all the methods that are employed to make you act like that he's no big deal? Or talking about how cool God is? Or the defiant music that Christians hum along with? That's the Spirit. You get into that, you get that Spirit. It makes you incapable of understanding what God is saying. And I know this is true because too many people are too quiet here. I mean, too many doors have been shut to a release of what the Spirit wants to do, and we just can't get out of this thing. We're kind of like in a little cage. And you look at a person in the world, boy, they can listen to music, go out there and listen to car. They like to watch the TV shows in which everybody is, but they can't worship God. Now tell me there's not a spirit involved in somebody's life. Or they get a Christian singing group and every time it's that, (sing) do you think that's Christian? That's the spirit of this age, it's a rebellious spirit. The music is rebellious. Almost, as far as I can tell, almost all these conservative talk show hosts have that same stupid music to introduce themselves. I told Bonnie today we had that thing on. I said, gracious. And she said, that's that talk show. We just listen to the news and all of a sudden this, whatever sound it makes. It's not music, it's noise. And it really is noise pollution. And that's a spirit. It draws you away from something so much that you come into what you think or hope is the presence of the Lord and you're silent. Either you can't see the reason for it, or you're suppressed, and you just don't want to? Do you think that's not a spirit? Especially when you can go out and get in a car and turn the radio on, and there it is, that sound again, that mood music. The lyrics are pretty nasty, but you can tolerate the words. Well, you know, it's like cussing in a the theater. Oh, you know, it's just a few words, but I like this feeling. Yet you come into the presence of the Lord, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Your arms are folded. Tell me there's not a spirit at work. Hello? There is. There is. And I might add, chances are it's an unclean spirit. How many people have impure habits? Boys and girls, when they're alone, in their showers, wherever they are, have impure, unclean habits, things you shouldn't be doing, but you do. A movie you shouldn't be watching, but you do. And when you watch it, it excites your passions. All this romantic, huggy, kissy stuff really does excite something in you to want to experiment that way. That's why you look at things you shouldn't look at. You do things you shouldn't be doing. It's a spirit, it's an unclean spirit. It defiles. Listen to me, now I know what I'm talking about tonight. It suppresses you spiritually, it does, it just suppresses you. Show me anybody, old or young, who's out there filling in the world, fooling with things they shouldn't fool within the unclean realm or the impure realm, and I'll show you a person that's not free spiritually. They're not free. They may sing their songs and clap their hands. We can all do that. I am tired. You know, I'm not weary and tired like I'm just about to fall apart. But I've had about all I'd like to have in my lifetime as a pastor of sitting in here with your hands raised and songs in your mouth and living like something less than a Christian. Man, if you want to live that way, stay out there. Amen. If you want to live right, leave that out there. I mean, choose this day who you're going to serve. Leave the boys alone. Leave the girls. Seek the kingdom. If you will, come on in. If you won't, stay out there. You don't belong in here. You won't like it here. You're just going to get yourself in trouble. It's good to hear the word, but what good is it if you don't practice it? Amen? Oh, the old boys wound up. But anyway, look over in Ephesians 4 again, and look at verse 19. Who being past feelings have given themselves over to lasciviousness. That means looseness, wanton desires, lust. It's an activity of life that is sensual and wrong. Lasciviousness. And he says, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, looseness. All sexual perversions are the results of unclean spirits. God made a man and out of a man he made a woman. God brought a woman to a man and said, make more people. Replenish the earth. Fill it up. And that's the way it works it's not a man and a man it's not a woman and a woman it is a man and a woman and the devil does everything he can to distort that you know even when there's a man with a man or one they have souls they have souls you know as long as they're breathing and living they can be saved but it's not my place to go along with it and say it's okay i mean there's so much of this in the world today that the wrongness of it has worn off and given place to tolerance And I'm not on a campaign out there to do anything about this. I can only tell you as a preacher, when God made Adam, he didn't make Steve. It ain't Adam and Steve. It is Adam and Eve. That's what he made. If it's not like that, there's something that has been perverted here or changed. It's wrong. It doesn't mean that a person is just no good. It just means that there's some things that need to be dealt with. You need deliverance. And it needs to be fixed. It can be. A lot of people are too embarrassed to deal with it, but you can deal with it if you're willing. If you're willing, you can get set free from it, but that's the way God made it in the beginning. God wants a man and a woman to live together, to raise godly seed, to bring forth citizens for God's kingdom. God wants this because if we don't have it here, if we lose our children to the world, then... In the gospel, something has been perverted in the way we've heard it. The spirit that defiles, again, whether it's that way or another way, it's an unclean spirit. First time Jesus spoke in a church in Mark chapter 1, a man with an unclean spirit in the church spoke up and said, the demon said, we know who you are. You're Jesus of Nazareth. You're the Holy One of God. Hast thou come to destroy us before the time? Jesus said, hold thy peace and come out of him. And he did. So you see, unclean spirits, first of all, had to do with things that defile your body, make you unclean and impure, especially in your mind. Stuff you read, the stuff you watch, the stuff you listen to, the people you hang around and the topics you discuss, all this dating and courting is how does he kiss Well, how does she kiss? You're already opening a door to an unclean spirit. That's not an area that belongs to you yet. That belongs to married people. You start hugging and kissing and, you know, we better stop, we better stop. God didn't intend for that type of activity of married people to stop. It has this ultimate goal. And when you're not married, it's sin every single time without exception. And the thing that promotes it is a lusty, unclean spirit. And it takes a real man or a real woman to say absolutely not because so many people today have given in to all of this. A second aspect of uncleanness, spiritual uncleanness, spiritual uncleanness. That's 1 Timothy chapter 4. You know about that. In the last days, many shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits. Seducing spirits. Now the word seduce, I'm sure you know this well. As I looked up in a dictionary, the word seduce means to persuade to disobedience or disloyalty. This is just an English dictionary. To persuade to disobedience or disloyalty. I'm talking about an unclean spirit. Now we think of seduce in sexual tones. You know, for a woman to be seduced by a man, you think of sexual activity there. And that's how the word seduce comes to us. Well, he seduced her. But in a spiritual sense, that same word is used because when God brought you to him and made you his own, you'll find the word espoused in the Bible. You have been espoused. That's the word for engaged to, claimed by God for his future bride. And those that are his... They're being prepared now for the wedding. The wedding hasn't taken place. You're not really married yet. You're just promised and spouse. You have committed yourself to him, which means in the Bible that seeing who he is and responding to his call for you to come to him, you do, and you're taking his word seriously to prepare yourself for his coming so that he will find you to be what he wants, the measure of the stature and so forth. Now, the devil comes along to try to draw you away from that loyalty to God by pointing you to another gospel, another way to tarnish that image of what he is and wants to make him out to be something that everybody will like you if you go that way and they won't talk about you. And when you turn away from him to something else, you are seduced spiritually. You've been lured away from loyalty and obedience to Christ to something else that God must judge. In Hosea chapter 4 and verse 12, God speaks of a spirit of whoredoms. That's an ugly word, and we don't like it, we don't use it all the time, but it's in the Bible, a spirit of whoredoms. And this thing is designed to make you vulnerable and used by another spirit, not the Holy Spirit. And you're no longer loyal and obedient to God because of your other whatever in your life. Maybe that's why we don't worship and praise. Some people don't, the way they should. Our life is full of illicit spiritual activity. Is that okay? Activity that God has not given us to do or to be like. He told them in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 2, And also I will cause the prophet and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. The prophet and the unclean spirit. They're joined together. The prophet's words, the misleading prophet, was causing the people to err. It's a spirit of whoredoms that took them away from their loyalty to the word of God to the loyalty to a prophet's words. That's a test. Remember in Deuteronomy 13, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams comes along and he tells you something and it comes to pass, but then he teaches you another way or a different way or an easier way or a more popular way, you're being tested. And to turn to those other ways, folks, to turn away from this word is to be disloyal to God. I think the hardest thing in all of our lives, if you want to stop and think about it for a moment, Some of the hardest things we ever do is to live loyal to God, committed, honest integrity before God. I have put my hands to the plow. I will not look back. I don't care how enticing it seems in my mind to be or the joyful noises and the urgings behind me. I will not look back. There's a few people like that. I don't think there's a lot of people like that, but there's a few. They committed themselves to God, and they will not look back. Just like a lot of married women and a lot of married men are committed to their husband, they will never have an affair. And there's a lot of people that if enough wrong things go on at home, well, I'll tell you one thing. If you're going to be like that, I'm going to, and then here they go, because they're not committed. It's an unclean spirit. It's a spirit that defiles, a spirit that misleads, and a spirit that causes people to go away. Listen to this in 1 John 2. And verse 26, these things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce you. In the church that he was speaking of here, there were seducers there, misleading people, talking them out of the way to a way. And doesn't Proverbs say there is a way that seems right unto man? The end of that way is death. But isn't that what the devil does? Look around, folks. Look at the people you know and all over the world. Look how easy it is. Look how easy it is. I came out of the, the grandest. Here we go again. I came out of the grandest movement I could imagine. A pure word, it was clean, it was not altered, not watered down. And grace enabled a number of you to receive it. And even today, now that my kids are grown and things are a little more complicated in some way, I still have no desire to change what I believe for anybody in my family or in your family. Truth is truth. I don't want to give place to the devil in anything I do. Seduce, yeah, the word means to wonder, to cause, to err. To cause to error. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You're not that far from it. Knowing that error and falsehood and deceitful misleading prophets, those in error, that the effect of their words is to mislead people or turn people away from God, and they follow another spirit. It's called an unclean spirit because it defiles you makes you unworthy of God, and it turns you to something else which God doesn't bless, uncleanness. Paul said in what he preached, he said, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. The word deceit, uncleanness, and guile are referring to the same thing. not talking about impurity and sexual misconduct here. He's talking about spiritual things that turn you away from And your loyalty to God. Now, a third thing is political uncleanness. Political uncleanness. I would say that most of the talk shows in America, liberal or conservative, the ones you know of the most, are politically unclean. Let me see if we can justify that. Turn to 2 Peter 2. Just keep going to the right towards the back. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. He's talking about the godly and the ungodly down through here, especially in verse 5 and 6 during the days of Lot and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and the different classes of people, the rights and the wrongs and the do's and the don'ts, and how the Lord in verse 9 knows how to deliver the godly out of Temptation, and to reserve the unjust to their punishment. Verse 10, but chiefly, notice, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh. Now stop. How many of you know that the flesh is a sensual part of you? That which is sensual in nature. That which God would define as the carnal part of you, your carnal nature. Move by what you feel and move by what you think and move by what you see. You like that? But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. I'm not talking here about sexual things as much as he goes on to say, and despise government. Presumptuous are they self-willed and are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. We call it dignitaries, people in office, people who rule. One thing that we Christians are forbidden to do because it says so in the Old Testament, which was not a law, ceremonial law, but a manner of the moral truth is that we're not to speak evil of the ruler of our people. You may be a staunch Republican. I hope you're not anything, but a Republican will speak out against a Democrat even if the Democrat's right because there's a spirit behind such stuff. These talk show hosts that continually constantly, constantly, and more constantly talk about how bad the other side is all the time. You keep listening to that, and guess what kind of a door is opened? That same argumentative, difficult, argument in your face, defiant spirit. At some point, you've got to draw back from that, and you say, I don't need that. I didn't vote for anybody told me in a barbershop one day, well, if you didn't vote for but I don't know why you should have an opinion. I said, I pay taxes more than you do. Just my opinion. I've shut up after that, I think. But this speaking evil of dignitaries, like I said, in Acts 23, 5, you're not supposed to speak evil of the ruler of your people. You pray for those in authority. You can't pray for people you're criticizing. God asked you to knock him upside the head. No, you don't do like that. Notice he says, despise government. Does your Bible say that? These are unruly people. They're a law unto themselves. They're full of iniquity, iniquitous, and their teaching and their comments lead to that. It's unclean because it defiles. It makes you wrong. It says they are presumptuous. Presumption is a word that means daring in the Greek. Daring. Contemptuous argumentative, in your face. They have no regard for whose feelings are hurt, right or wrong, they're just presumptuous. They're self-willed and they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries because they have unclean spirits. There's an unclean political spirit, a spirit that makes them not in the church not personally themselves as much as the effect of what they do, and they get paid well for it, is to create defilement amongst the people so that someday, no matter what happens, a Republican and a Democrat will never get along. And maybe the Tea Party will come along, but that will never work either. How about the Pharisees as we come to a close? Turn to Matthew 23, verse 27. Listen to what Jesus said in light of this unclean political thing or this show in the flesh and gaining the admiration of people so they can rule. Look at Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Has there ever been a politician that's a hypocrite? Never been a politician. Has there ever been a talk show host who was a hypocrite? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within you're full of dead men's bones and of all what? Uncleanness. uncleanness. It's a show in the flesh which is described here as unclean. There's not one way you can define uncleanness. Generally, it has to do with that which defiles, that which pollutes that which makes you unworthy of God's blessings and praise, unclean. And when he told these Pharisees that they were like that, he was showing us tonight that you can have a grand opinion about politics, but it would come from an unclean source. Best thing for you to do is leave it alone. How would he say about burying the dead? He said, let the dead bury the dead. Well, let the dead have their comments out there. They're all dead in trespasses and sins anyway. What have you to join them in the fray? He's not talking about your uncleanness as some lewd behavior, or the way you dress, or the way you act. That's unclean too, there's a spirit behind that. Flirtatious, there's a spirit in that. Trying to be cool and groovy and make everybody think you're really something. There's a spirit behind that. I've seen things on Facebook through the years, i got to be careful. Maybe I don't. I question some of these things. What kind of a mindset would make you print something like it for all the world to see to read that this is the kind of person you really are? Why would you do that? I don't mean if you print that once you're forever like that. I mean, you could be in a rebellious state of mind and say that and repent later we got to make up our minds. I want to be a Christian. I don't want to be a heathen. I want to be a Christian. And as a Christian, I want to be able to know when I see things going on, I want to be able to tell what kind of spirits behind this. I don't want to be like the church world. that just, I don't know what the, I want to be taught well enough that I can not be suspicious of people, not be critical of people, but be discerning. I want to have the light of his word come in and show me the truth so I can know what I'm doing. Didn't he say in our text in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, that we are not ignorant of his devices? Didn't he say that? We're not to be ignorant of his devices. How many spirits are there? How many different categories or manifestations of demons are there? Oh, man. I mean, Jesus attributed so much to the devil. I mean, so much. We're told so much of all the corruption in the world, all the anger, the hate, spirits of hate or jealousy, those are spirits. We can't take time to go through all of that. Lying spirits. How many parents have been grieved over the fact they caught their children in numerous lies? Where did they get that? Where did they start that? You never lied to them. You haven't misled them. Why are they lying to you? Who are they hanging around with? Where are they going to school at? Who's their buddies? Who's important to them? What are they talking about? There's doors out there. We need to teach these things to our children. Be careful who you run around with. Be careful who you share your life with. These things can come back on you. I don't want to see any more people get in trouble. I don't want to see the devil gain anybody else's life. And to combat that, you preach the word. You preach the word. You see, if you're not here to deal with it, all this stuff in the world, let me ask you all a question. Who else on this planet knows how to deal with the devil? Think about it. How many people know what to do when they are aware of something demonic going on? In their home, in the church, maybe in the city, the school, or the nation, we can pray for our country. Your faith can go so far. It can do some things. How many Christian so-called people even know what's going on? In closing, our last verse, Second Thessalonians, <laughs> chapter 2. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. We've been talking about it. Self-rule, self-exaltation, self-this, self-that. Not God, me, us, and Our. Iniquity, selfish, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let. Only he who now restrains, you can take the word restrains, it's better than the word letteth, and just use the word restrain. Only he that now restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. Does the Bible say something like that? And when he is taken out of the way, then that wicked one shall be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. That would be the Antichrist and the world ruler. You see, this is why I believe in the rapture. Because the he here refers to not an individual somewhere. Certainly not the Holy Spirit. Who's it referred to? I believe it refers to what we call in the Bible a man-child in Revelation chapter either two or, or, or three. Who shall rule the world with a rod of iron with Christ? Man shall, male gender, he. I mean, this is what God is built. Didn't we read in Romans 8 the other day at verse 18 about the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed? And that goes on in that same Romans chapter 8 talks about that this is going to come to the place where there will be a manifestation of God's sons, a holy priesthood. A nation, pure and holy. Not everybody that goes to church will be a part of it, but there'll be a bunch of them there. And these are gonna be God's sons. They'll be gonna be manifested to this world in a unique and wonderful way, Then they'll be taken. Who deals with the devil when we're gone? You tell me. In this world, in this Christian world, you could go most any church you want to, you'll find somebody But who knows how to deal with the devil, let alone recognizing his work? Nobody. They're going to believe whatever they're told. They're going to follow whatever is religious. The Antichrist is going to have their sensible stuff to say. They'll get their health care paid for. They'll get their food, and they'll have it the way they want. They'll follow anybody because they're not discerning. And the end of their life is judgment. But see, God's sparing you. I hope you're taking advantage of it. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Amen.